Amen. Hey, I'm Nate. Get to be the pastor here at New City. Man, I am really glad you're here today. Uh, really, really glad. Uh, <laughs> if you're a lady, by the way, I want to encourage you, like, take one of those blessed kits. If not, you know, if not the one here, the digital one, and, and get some ladies together and just just have a conversation. Wasn't that great just to listen in on kind of like what everybody's been kind of wanting to talk about, <laughs> uh, wanting kind of to experience in kind of community? You get to provide that. Uh, take the courageous step. Uh, invite some ladies over. Have a good time. Hey, at New City, we say this, that we are imperfect people, being courageous, believing in the power of Jesus to make all things new. Here's the thing. We believe that God is at work making all things new, and that includes people. Okay, now, now hear me. God makes people new. And, and if you need a fresh start today, I want you to know you worship a God who makes people new. Uh, if you're feeling like, man, the, the, the life I've been living, I would like that life to become the old one. I'd really like to have a new one take its place. If you're like one of those people, it's like, ah, a fresh start sounds really good to me. Listen, God makes people new. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. And so if you are in need of a made new story today, I'm, I'm telling you, like, Jesus is here for you. A and I also want to tell you that the whole series that we're in right now, How to Bless Your Neighbors, is about helping people to experience that renewal story. You see, we, we want to move beyond hoping people will experience the renewal of Jesus to helping people experience the renewal of Jesus. Like, we want to move beyond just, like, hoping our friends, our neighbors, and our relatives will experience the made new reality of Jesus to helping them. How do we help them? This series is extraordinarily practical. We've been walking through the blessed practices of being prayerful and listening and eating and serving and sharing our story. And that these... Practices are practices of mission, and we want to encourage you to be able to have these practices of mission. And so today we're talking about serve. And so the earlier weeks we've already dealt with being prayerful and listening and eating, and today we're talking about serving. Uh, I'm going to start this message on serving uh, by just sort of unpacking some things that are all sort of in the background, but I want to bring those things that are in the background, or at least those things that are in our subconscious, out to the table so we can take a look at them. And I'm going to invite you to do something right that the culture feels is wrong. So today I'm going to invite you to do something right, but the cultural waters that we're swimming in doesn't feel like it's right. That's what I'm going to invite you to do today. You see, I think we all carry a set of assumptions that we're not consciously aware of. Like, these, these assumptions are not the stated beliefs. Like we, like you, so, so many people in this room could say, I believe God is good, and I believe God is sovereign, I believe He's in control, I believe He's benevolent, He's loving, but we live like He's not. And, and we live like God's not really in control, like I've got to really be in control. We live like God's not really good, I've got to be the one who's good. Like we live like that. Because I can't trust he's going to be good. I've got to, you know, I've got to, I've got to do what God is not doing. And, and, and th those are assumptions that are living under the surface. See, our assumptions, they, they live underneath our behavior and they inform our spontaneous responses. Uh, let, me, let me just say it this way. Like, sometimes, like, we say we believe something, but then when life happens to us, or when life hits us, our response reveals what we really believe under the surface. Does that make sense? I'll just ask you this way to you, okay? Uh, do you have a servant's heart? All right? You, you might just sort of consciously go, yep, you know, I think I have a servant's heart. I think I have a heart of a servant. And God says I should have a heart of a servant. I, I have a heart of a servant. 
Well, the best way to know if you have a heart of servant's heart is to check how you react when someone treats you like a servant. <laughs> right? When someone treats you like a servant, you're like, wait, 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 wait a second, you know? Um, what, ha- what that response is, is it's pulling out some basic assumption that lives underneath the surface. Uh, what's, I think, happening for all of us is we're living in a culture right now that's got some assumptions that are living under the surface that's making us really anxious and reactive. Uh, the, I'll, I'll say it this way. We, li- we live in a highly reactive place. I mean, you heard that in the video. I mean, the girl's talking, like, how much stress there is in all this high reactivity in the world that we're living in. And anxiety is often displayed, and I think so. I could even say most often displayed in high reactivity. Like just like something happens and man, you react, and then you react, and th- that reaction is re- unveiling some things about your assumption. And I think the COVID years, I wish it wasn't years, but I think the COVID years have made us an anxious people. Like just highly reactive and anxious. Because there's an assumption living underneath the surface that's informing our behavior, and that assumption living under the surface is informing our behaviors made us really anxious and highly reactive. And so I just got back from Hawaii, and so I'm going to s- share some things about not being anxious. And it, man, I'm sharing them from a position of having just got back from Hawaii. This is a picture of my wife and I in Hawaii, and we were, we, you know, Hawaii is like pretty restrictive right now. I mean, it's really restrictive. Um, in fact, they, they recently passed a law. Uh, limiting uh, the volume of people's laughs. Yeah, they're only allowing aloha. <laughs> That's that, that is, I love a really bad dad joke. Free to you, free to you today, free to you. Why were we in Hawaii? Because the Salmon Foundation lent us money to buy a facility, and Salmon Foundation is the, not only the bank that lent us the money, but they're also a ministry partner. If you don't know, we're, we're moving just down the street from here. Here's a map from where we are to where we're moving. It's like 1.4 miles away, right up the street, San Mateo. So we're moving from here, 6300 San Mateo Boulevard, Suite F1, to 4700 uh, San Mateo Boulevard, just right down the street. Uh, in a few weeks, I'll be sharing with some of our leadership community uh, some photos of the drawings and the things that we're working hard on to try to get the, vac- you know, trying to get the facility up and ready by some point in August, uh, right before September. And so you can see uh, just a sneak peek there are some things that we're working on. And so we were in Hawaii, and I was trying really hard to unwind. Went to Maui first. In fact, uh, I got the upgrade and got the, uh, the, the convertible Mustang, and it was pretty awesome. And, uh, and I, get t- I can tell you, I had, um, I had some reggae playing in the background, a little bit Jack Johnson uh, sneaking in there, or cruising around the island of, of Hawaii, driving this Mustang. I mean, everything is set to be super chill. And I was like, just stressed out, you know? And Vanessa's like, uh, why aren't you relaxing? I was like, I, I don't know, I c- can't relax. And, and, and what was going on, it was like, we have been living through a year of just like waiting for the other shoe to drop all the time. And, and every, every day, it's like, what bad thing's going to happen tomorrow? And, and I was just like waiting for something bad to happen. Meanwhile, I'm cruising it with a Mustang and like listening to Jack Johnson. I should be like totally chilled out. And it wasn't happening. And in fact, we, we, ro- we drove up the road to Hana that day, the first day there. We drove up the road to Hana. There's all these waterfalls. It's really picturesque. There's a black sand beach at the top of it. We're coming back down, and we actually came to a, a waterfall that was just beautiful. And uh, I, 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 I <laughs> got on a rope swing and, sw- and swung into the waterfall pool. It was really, really great. And on the way back, 
down the road, I was starting to relax just a little bit, and, and one of my love languages is adventure. I mean, it's spontaneous adventure, all right? That's, it has to be adventure, and then spontaneous is really good. That's added bonus. And so we were driving back, and I saw these cars parked along the side of the street, and I thought, it would be really great. You know what would be really great is just to stop and see what, the, see what the fuss is all about. So we stopped, and all these kids, like young people, like in their 20s, were hopping this fence, and there was like this like drum circle. And if you, if you want to like think about it, like 1960s kind of drum circle, I don't know if there were like, you know, drugs involved, but they were having fun. All right? And they were dancing and having fun. And I looked at Vanessa, I was like, let's go. Like, we need to jump into like this drum circle. This is like, we got to do this. There's like 30 or 40 kids out there. And she's like, what are they going to, like, these two old farts going up there? Like, they're not going to be happy about us crashing our party. And I was like, I don't think there was, like, an invitation given out. I think we just jump in, jump the fence. Let's do it. And she's like, I want to jump the fence. And so we did. We jumped the fence. <laughs> and we went and joined this drum circle thing. And we sat right on this, this edge of this cliff. We watched the sun go down. And that was when, for me, the sun started to go down a little bit on some of my anxiety. I had recently read this book, uh, Managing Leadership Anxiety, and man, life-changing book. I mean, truly, for me, a life-changing book. Uh, it, it's been really, really good. I've been talking about it to everybody. I've been passing it out, like just passing it out. But all the staff has a, have a copy coming in the mail this week. I mean, I've just been, I've been talking about it so much. And, and at the conference, one of the pastors, that uh, is pa- is Pastor Steve Cuss, is, is a pastor in Colorado. He wrote this book, Managing Leadership Anxiety. And so I was just like in the pool at the conference, just swimming around, you know. And I was just, you know, I was starting to get, you know, relaxed. I was starting to get friendly. Like, hey, what's your name, you know? And um, it's not weird at all, you know? And so I'm just, like, in the pool, you know? And, and I was like, hey, I'm Nate. What's your name? He goes, oh, I'm Steve Cuss. I was like, oh, I just read your book. It's amazing. And I'm sure, like, he did not want that, like, that, that fan experience in the pool right then with, like, shirtless Pastor Nate in there just going, hey, you know, tell me more about I'm not feeling anxious at all right now. You know, that was not a joke that he laughed at. And, you know, it was just, like, really weird. Just kind of had a great conversation. But in the book, he said, he writes this, it's really powerful. He says, the goal of managing anxiety is not simply for relief. It is to connect more fully with God and to raise awareness of what God is doing. Here's the key line. Anxiety blocks our awareness of God because it takes our subconscious attention. This means that anxiety can be an early detection system that we are depending on something other than God for our well-being. And he says, hey, under the surface, there are some assumptions that are God-blocking. They're God-blocking assumptions. And these assumptions are making you feel really anxious and really worried and really stressed out, but they're keeping you from experiencing the presence of God. He even says in this chapter, God's presence is here. It's right here. It's right now. But you may be missing out on his presence because these assumptions are living subconsciously under the surface, and they're blocking you from experiencing his presence even right now. And I think the source of our anxiety and high reactivity may be an assumption that we let grow under the surface of our conscious life. So what's the assumption? Here's the assumption. It all depends on me. When you start believing that it all depends upon me, man, the anxiety shoots through the roof. And here's how the culture is feeding it. The culture is feeding this assumption this way because the culture is telling us every day, no one is going to look out for you, even God. So you better look out for yourself, first of all. That's, that's, the, that's the water we're swimming in every day. 
No one's looking out for you, not even God, so you better look out for yourself. And so the culture is feeding us a me or an us first anxiety. So what happens is we cul-de-sac, you know, we either, either we isolate, just us, our, our unit, our family, we isolate, we go, everybody's against us, somebody's about to hurt me, somebody's going to hurt me, I know somebody's going to hurt me, I'm going to be hurt, or you cul-de-sac with a group of people and say, we're going to find security in this subgroup within the world because everybody else out there is out to get us, and it's like a me first, us first kind of anxiety that kind of develops. But the gospel feeds a God and others first love, that's what the gospel feeds. So the, the gospel is opening our heart to like love of God and obedience to Him because He is good and He is benevolent, but it also opens our heart to a love of others. When Jesus says, hey, do you want to know what all Christianity is all about? I mean, in he, I mean, this is not a difficult concept to understand. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. The second most greatest commandment, I mean, if you wanted to go know, know the first two things you need to do as a Christian, these are it. I mean, really everything is about these two things. You shall love your neighbors yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these, Jesus says. And so the question I've been wrestling with is, Nate, are you a better disciple of the culture or a better disciple of Jesus? So is the culture shaping you to be an anxious human being seeking me first and us first isolationism or, is the, or am I being shaped by Jesus who's calling me into a love of God and to a love of my neighbor? So we're at the conference, and uh, Dr. Wes Beavis is the main presenter, and he presents on a book that he just recently wrote based on his Ph.D. research. Let's talk about ministry burnout. And he, and he walks through the burnout train line. He calls what he calls it, the illustration of the train line. There's six stations on the burnout train line. I'm not going to talk about each of these stations. I just want to highlight them and then what the aha was for me. He says, hey, the first, the first, you know, first stop on the, on the burnout train line is emotional exhaustion. That's when you start saying, I'm so drained, I can't think straight. Many people hit that early this last year during the pandemic. i just so drained, I can't think straight. And then there's an increased duration of negative assessment. That's when you say, I suck at this, this sucks, everything sucks. You can't see a positive, and you have a duration and an increased frequency of negative assessments of everything going on around you. Then you have a loss of emotional stability and personal discipline and resilience. You just kind of get to your desk and you go, I don't feel like doing this anymore. You get home and you got chores to do. I just don't feel like doing it anymore. And you start to kind of give up a little bit because you just don't have the emotional stamina to do the things that you used to be able to do. That leads to isolation, which is, has you saying, I just don't want to be around anybody right now. I don't feel good about me. I don't feel good about the world. I don't feel good about you. I don't feel good. So you just start isolate and then you get diminished work effectiveness. And that's when you're like really just can't do it. You just, I can't do this anymore. And you sit down at the desk and you literally can't type you go to work you really can't do the task you go home and you really can't fold the laundry or whatever the task is like whatever it is it's like there before you and you're like i can't do it and then the last step is identity impairment and confusion this is one that hit me it's like who am i and I, i'm a failure and who would even want me and i'm not really good at anything and why am i even doing this and you start to really have the existential crisis of burnout now, it, it occurred to me that the primary reason that we buy our ticket and jump on the burnout train is the assumption that it all depends upon me. Because once you start thinking it all depends upon me, you start trying to hold it all together. And listen, friend, you can't hold it all together. You can only pretend to be God for so long. You can only pretend to be God for so long. 
And you may want to be trying to hold it, and, and uh, you know, you might want to be trying to grab a hold of it all and, and hold it all in control. But listen, there's only one person in the universe who holds the world together with the power of his word, and that's Jesus. Discipleship, then, and here's now we're getting to close to a text. You're like, man, is there a Bible passage coming here? All right, it's coming, all right? Discipleship is moving from unbelief to belief in every of your life. And that's, that's what discipleship is. It's just kind of going, what, what is it that I'm not believing that I should be believing? Or what misbelief is present in my life that I should be addressing and dealing with? And so when you start to think that it depends all upon me, what's the unbelief there? Well, to believe it all depends upon me is to believe that God is not dependable. That's what you're really believing. So I'm going to ask you a couple questions, all right? So what we're doing, I told you early, we're going to lay some things on the table, we're going to mess around with it a little bit, and then we're going to let the text do its thing, okay? So do you believe that God loves you? Now, a lot of Christian people say, hmm, I do. I know 1 John 4, 8, God is love. Like, he can't not love me. It's his nature. He has to love me. So let me ask you a second question. Do you believe that God likes you? Because a lot of us go, yeah, I believe God loves me here intellectually, maybe even here emotionally, but he doesn't like me as much as he likes the other person. And I've been watching on Instagram, he seems to like this other person more than he likes me. And I've been watching, it seems like he likes this other guy more than he likes me, or this other gal more than he likes me. He likes, seems to like this couple more than he likes us. Look, I, I think when you start to kind of press in on this, uh, the greatest obstacle developing a heart of service, and that's what our message is about, by the way, <laughs> is a heart that's anxious and self-protective. Like, nothing I say today about serving others and laying your life down for the sake of others is going to make any sense to you at all or be applicable to your life if you are still anxiously self-protective. And you don't really believe that God loves you or that he likes you or that he's for you or that he's good or that he's benevolent. Those things are the things that free you to serve. And so there are four life-changing questions that I have found to be really impactful for me in my life. And I've shared them with you before. I'm going to share them with you again. And I'll share them with you again, again, later on. But who is God? What has he done? And a lot of what he's done, who am I? A lot of who I am, how should I live? Those four questions are life-changing questions. And if you want a tool to work the gospel into your everyday life, you take these four questions and you just start working them. Who is God? What has he done? A lot of what he's done, who am I? And then how should I live? Like you work those questions over and over again. And when you, th those questions in reverse become a diagnostic. You see, these questions, like, they serve as a, a diagnostic tool when you ask them in reverse to help you to identify the sources of dysfunction in your life or the unbelief in your life, or in our case today, the source of your anxiety. So you start asking questions like, how am I really living? You know, in my case, I'm sitting there in the, in, in the Mustang, and I'm driving, and I've got, you know, the Legends, you know, playing in the background. That's Bob Marley Legend album, best reggae album of all time, and I'm listening to that, and, and I'm just stressed out because I'm waiting for something bad to happen, and right in that moment, I'm living as if, as if God is not in control. And I'm living like He's not good, and maybe He doesn't even like me. And in that moment, I've got to start working it and going, why is that? How am I living? What's that say about who I think I am? Well, I think I, I think I need to be God because he's not obviously doing a good job right now, so I need to step in and take his place for a little bit. What's that, what's that say about what I think God is doing or not doing? Well, he's, for some reason, he's not involved. 
Maybe it's because he's not really there or maybe because he doesn't really care. And you start kind of working that and you go, okay, I don't really believe that, but I'm living like that if that's true. I don't really believe it here. I, I don't even really hold it here, but my life is, is putting on display a whole other set of assumptions living under the surface. Uh, my, my life is, is, is living out the assumption that I have to be the one who is really God. That's the, that's the life that I'm living. So discipleship is moving from unbelief to belief in every area of life. So how do I do it? Well, I work those questions in the other order. Who is God? What is true about him? And that's what I want to look at with you right now in John chapter 13. This is the classic verse about God's serving. It tells you so much about who God is. So in John chapter 13, the setup here is that this is the end of Jesus' ministry. This is the Last Supper. He's having his last meal with his disciples, and they go into the upper room, and then this is what happens. Now, before the feast of, his, of the Passover, where we get our communion celebration that we'll celebrate here in a little bit, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands, and that he, he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from the supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a the towel that was wrapped around them. It's interesting to note here is how John makes, you, makes the point of saying, like, Jesus knows who he is. He came from God. He's going back to God. He's been given all authority. Like, he knows who he is in this moment. In the words of Dave Ferguson in his book, Blessed, he says, Jesus knew his position and power. He knew that God had put all things under his authority. And yet, what did he do? He set aside his crown for an apron. That's what he did. You see, Jesus loves and he serves. Not because he has to, but because he wants to. I don't know if you caught it in verse 1 in the original reading, but this is one that has stuck within me. I'm driving this right down into my soul. He loved them until the end. When you look at Jesus and you go, man, this, this dude's a lover. <laughs> and, he, and he loved them until the end. What's interesting to me in this passage is that the love of Jesus is not merely general and emotional. It's practical and physical. Like, that's how he puts his love on display. This was important for me. I don't know if this was important for you, but this was important for me. Like, it's, like Jesus isn't coming up you know, to this dinner and going, let me give you, let me give you some theo the theology on my love for you. Let me, let me lay down some, some, dark, some, some deep truths. Like, that's not what he's doing. He sees a need. Dirty feet. A need that a servant would have taken care of, but a servant didn't, and no one else took care of it. And so Jesus said, I'll take care of it. And he took the posture of a servant, and he washed feet. Practical and physical. He rose from supper, laid aside his outer garment, taking the towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, wiping them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He just took the posture of a servant. Practical, physical. 
this is important to me because this puts on display a little bit about the nature of God. Like he's not just out there as a deist somewhere far away, unconcerned with like the little things. And the love of Jesus is not for the deserving. He doesn't just love the good disciples. In verse 2, you see, during the supper, the devil had already entered the heart of Judas, something Jesus was aware of and mentioned. Uh, Later in the supper, Simon's son, uh, the one who was going to betray him, Jesus knew that, which reminds me of what C.S. Lewis has to say about uh, the Christian disciple. He says, "The, the Christian does not think God will love us because we are good, but that God will make us good because he loves us. And this is what God does. Jesus' love is an example, listen, an example of self-sacrificial service. And later in verses 12 to 14, when he'd washed his feet and he put, washed their feet and he put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and your rights, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher, having washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And so what we learn in this passage is not only who God is, like a lover who loves to the end and who loves in service, but we find out what God has done. What has he done? Well, God did not love us virtually. God loved us in person. That's what he did. He loved physically. It wasn't like God just sent, you know, like virtual messages to us from heaven, like he came to earth and became flesh and blood. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Like he became flesh. And with his fleshly hands that are still scarred with the cross and his resurrection, he washed, he washed feet. In, in the message translation, Eugene Peterson, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And I, I, I just... You know, I, th- I think it's important to recognize that when we're looking at John 1.14, John is teaching us that Jesus is God. He's fully God. He's fully human. And just sometimes you have to say things out loud that you don't want anybody to, n- to miss. And so I don't want you just to, to miss it, but that God washed feet. That's what God did. The one who spoke and, and stars came into existence washed feet. The one who holds it all together, the power of his word, washed feet. Simon was starting to get it. (laughs) And he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, do not, (laughs) not my feet only, but also my hands and my head, like wash me completely. Little did he know that Jesus would wash him completely of every sin and every stain. So Jesus' mission was to serve. That's what he came to do. He says it this way in Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to serve. And serving is not beneath Jesus. Serving elevates just what kind of God he is. Don't you see? It puts it on display. He's the kind of God who washes feet. It's unbelievable. It changes everything about how we relate to him. So when you pray, when you pray to God, don't, 
don't pray, Lord, give me what I deserve on the basis of my goodness. Pray, Lord, give me what I don't deserve on the basis of your goodness. That's what you do when you pray. You go, I see you. Who you are. You, you love to the end. You love and service. I see you serving practically in the flesh. I know who you are, God. I know what you've done. And so what does that say about who I am? How does that address me and my own anxiousness? Well, I'm a loved friend of the all-powerful God. That's what I am. And he loves sinners, and he loves me. I'm a, I'm a loved friend of the all-powerful God. That's what I am. And I've been just looking at John 13, 1, and going, he loved them to the end. He's loved me completely. Oh, he's loved me completely. So we were in this conference, and Dr. Dr. West gets up, and he goes, I, I just want you to stand up, and I want you to repeat after me. And we did some liturgy together in the room, and he said, I want you to recognize what's happened over this last year. If you had this cortisol bath, and this, all this cortisol running through your body has caused you to be living in fear and anxiety, waiting for the next bad thing to happen. And many of the leaders in the room have been making decisions about what's going to put people at risk and what's going to keep people safe and, and consistently worried about the people in their churches dying of COVID and all the other things, the anxieties and the worries that all of us have had to face. And he said, I just want you to, to experience for a second what it feels like to put your faith in God and to experience a physiological response to hope. And he, and he wrote some things on the screen that were helpful. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to start writing some things down that are helpful for me. Things that are true about God based on his word. Things that are true about him. Here's one. This is just for me. And, you know, if it, <laughs> if it helps you, so be it. Because God is good and in control, I do not need to be anxiously trying to hold it all together. I can work hard and rest because I trust that God is good and He seeks my good in practical and meaningful ways. I needed that last line, practical and meaningful ways, because I needed to know that God cares for my everyday stuff. He does. Because God is good and in control, I do not need to be anxiously trying to hold it all together. I can work hard and rest because I trust that God is good and He seeks my good in practical and meaningful ways. Boy, that's been so helpful for me to say. The four life-changing questions. Who is God? Oh, he's, a, he's a lover and He loves to the end. What has He done? I mean, he's washed feet. Who am I? I'm a beloved friend of God. I and mean, What has he done for me? Man, He has cared for me practically and meaningfully. And so how should I live? Well, I can love others the way God has loved me. That's how I do it. And Dave Ferguson said what he did that evening in the upper room represented a shift that overturned a lie that had plagued humanity since the Garden of Eden. The lie that says if you want to be blessed, look out for yourself before anyone else. That was the lie. The lie was it all depends upon you. The lie was no one's looking out for you, not even God, so you better look out for yourself. That's the lie. And so we got to go back and work the gospel into our hearts. And so we passed out a few weeks ago these neighborhood maps. If you don't have one, you can grab one online. You can also grab one at the welcome desk on the way out. And it's just a way for us to be thinking about, like, do I know my neighbors? 
And how can I love my neighbors practically? Because God's loved me practically and meaningfully. Like he's loved me meaningfully and practically. He cares about my everyday life. And so who's my, how's my neighbor doing? It's kind of the big idea. Well, we'll be working through these questions in our community group some this week. And, and as you start looking through these questions, like how's my neighbor doing? How can I practically love my neighbor the way God has loved me? And do you know, like in, in your neighbor's life, how are they doing relationally? How's their marriage? Like how are they working through COVID? Like what's going on in their everyday life? Because God cares about how your neighbors are doing relationally. How are they doing emotionally? emotionally where are they at in their emotional state or their mental state or their spiritual state and so you can start asking some questions like because God has loved me this way and he's been so generous to me that now I'm freed up right then to love others and all through this series we've been saying we've been blessed to be a blessing and, and we've been blessed to bless but listen you can only bless your neighbors with the blessing you've received and so you have to go to God empty-handed and say you know what I, I'd bring nothing to this equation I receive your grace freely, and I confess you're good and you're in control, and I don't have to be in control any longer. By the way, if you want to be a Christian, that's the confession. It's, it's I get off the throne, and I confess that you alone are Lord. And if anyone confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, will they receive forgiveness and eternal life that comes with that confession? What it's saying is, I believe I don't hold it all together, but I know that you do. That's what it means to be a Christian. So we've been blessed to bless. We've been talking about in this series. Be prayerful. Let's pray for open doors for the gospel. Listen us. Listen to the good news. Uh, listen to the bad news in your neighborhood and your neighbor's lives. And then listen to the Holy Spirit and how he wants you to bring the good news to that bad news narrative. We've been talking about eating and showing grace by making room at your table. We've talked about serving. That's by loving the way that Jesus has loved you. And then next week we'll talk about sharing or your story and telling about what God has done to bless you in your life. That's the blessed series. Those are the posture of a missionary. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, um, you know, just even like, I'm just going to be, you know, I'm going to be just myself right now and praying to you. Not that I'm not always myself, but, you know, uncomfortably myself with you right now. Uh, because of the, the snap and the crackle of the microphones drive me nuts this morning, and I'm like, frustrated about it in the back of my mind i just want you to know that i believe that you're in control <laughs> and that you're good and that you're loving and you're generous and you're benevolent and that you you make your word make sense and uh, and so there's anything that that uh, i sometimes say that it was out of step or out of line i pray you help those thoughts be easily forgotten and i pray that your word would rise to the top and become meaningful and helpful lord jesus i don't you know the washing feet thing, I mean, it's just so challenging to me um, because I'm still trying to prove my significance by what other people think of me so often in my life. And you know what? I know what you think of me, and that means everything. And, and, I, and I just would like for you, I mean, if you, if you choose, I mean, but the power of the Holy Spirit um, if there's any anxiety in the room and worry and stress in the room, that you would just supernaturally lift it right now. Just remove it. Like, whatever the thing is that the, the unbelief is, would you address it with, your, with the power of your Holy Spirit? Would you, would you allow us, each of all of us, collectively, online, in person, just allow us, Father, through your power of the Holy Spirit, right now in our prayer time, would you just allow us to confess that you are in control? And to receive right now, like the, this is like the, the release, like the psychological, emotional release of believing it in this moment. Not only are you in control, you're good, you love us, you like us, 
how life-changing that, that truth is. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. We're going to sing uh, a song. We've got a Mother's Day meditation still coming and another song to close us out. But during, these, during the, the worship times, you feel free to go to the Lord's table. Take of the bread. Remember Christ's body broken from you. Take of the cup. Remember his blood shed for you. It, it, it's, if anything like, removes anxiety, it's recognizing all sins have been covered by the cross of Jesus. Like his broken body uh, was broken so you could receive healing in him. Like he paid the penalty for your sins. And man, talk about taking anxiety away. It's just recognizing that you, you are innocent because of what Christ has done for you. So receive that today as you take communion. Stand together, sing. If you're a regular tender, you can give your offerings online and per, you know, give it in person today in the box of the back. Um, we love your participation in the mission. Let's sing together.